It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today, our guest is an accomplished saxophonist, a flute player, a composer, and he has a fascinating story and a rich musical experience in all of his life. His name is Tim Mayer. Tim, thanks for joining us on All That's Jazz. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. So you're currently based in Jalapa, Mexico. How did you end up in Jalapa? Well, I was initially invited here to teach at a jazz program. It's a four-year bachelor's degree program through Veracruz University called the Center for for Jazz Studies at Veracruz University, or JAZUV for short. And uh, so I came here in 2014, and eventually, um, you know, the, the requirements for employment were kind of evolving at the time, and, and eventually they were requiring a master's degree. So I looked around and, and uh, saw that, A, all the, all the good options in the States basically will involve incurring a huge amount of debt. And on the other hand, the same university has a really great program in post-tonal composition. So uh, I got into that, and um, it became necessary to drop out of teaching just to, to devote full time to that. And so I'm just about to finish up that degree. I'm just waiting for them to schedule my, my thesis exam, and then I'll be done. And of course, the university is in Jalapa, correct? That's right, yes. You have a fantastic new release out called Keeper of the Flame. would like to spend some time talking about that because it's absolutely a wonderful album and the music is just, uh, it's great. It's really, really good music and uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But I'd like to talk a little bit about your history and some of your influences in uh, the music of your life. And it starts out, uh, I believe, uh, when you were at the tender age of four or five years old, you, you found a, a record player, and uh, it was your parents, and you learned how to use that, and it took off from there. Would that be a good assessment? That's exactly, basically it. Um, I have a lot of fond memories from that age, getting to know music that that my parents had. And uh, of course they, they bought me records. They bought me Sesame Street, Electric Company, Mr. Rogers, Music of the Circus. But my favorites were Bill Evans' Moonbeams uh, and Ahmad Jamal Live at the Pershing and West Montgomery, A Day in the Life. And um, basically the only time I ever had a babysitter uh, was if either Bill Evans or Wes Montgomery came to town. <laughs> wow. And where, where was that town, by the way? 
That was in Denver, Colorado. Oh, fantastic. So that's how you maybe know Greg Gisbert. I, I didn't meet him then, but I, th I certainly met him on, uh, on the recording sessions for the, the previous release, Resilience. So besides being drawn into jazz music, you were also introduced to Exotica, which if some of our listeners don't know, that's tropical music. Tell me about that. Well, my, <laughs> my mother's, one of my mother's favorite records was Quiet Village by Martin Denny. That was when the, you know, when the two and eventually three of us uh, were all just going off crying she would uh take refuge in 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 that record it would just transport her to a different place basically exotica is hawaiian and polynesian melodies and and some of the styles the rhythms that they use mixed with uh latin uh, afro-cuban style uh rhythms and instruments and jazz well, and of course, that led to some of your associations and some of the music that you were involved in uh, with the uh, Waitiki Seven. Yes, absolutely. And do you still engage in that now, or is that still a uh, a focus of yours? It is. Um, currently, I have two... Uh, well, Waitiki is still somewhat active. We actually are just in the process of finalizing uh, a booking in, in Kansas, in Lawrence, Kansas, for next April for the, the uh, Retro Cocktail Hour with Daryl Brogdon. We played there a number of years ago, and uh, it was a great experience playing in the theater there. And actually, what got me associated with Waitiki in the first place was a project that they had playing the music of Juan Garcia Esquivel, who was a great pianist, composer, and arranger from, from here, from Mexico, but he really found his fame in the, in the States uh, during the late 50s, 60s, through the 70s. And um, he basically, once he left Mexico, he kind of faded from the scene here. And uh, in 2018, uh, he would have been 100 years old. So I have a project called Esquivel Cien or Esquivel 100, where I've transcribed a bunch of his music dating from the late 40s, 50s, all the way through uh, the work that he did for a kids program here in Mexico called Burbujas. It's kind of like a like Mexican Sesame Street. And um, uh, it, it's been a hugely popular program. And a lot of people don't realize that's the same guy, Esquivel, who used to write for the, the great singer-soloists of, of the 50s, 40s and 50s, like uh, Pedro Vargas and Maria Victoria, Tonya La Negra. 
you know, they were at the top of the charts at those times, and people don't associate Esquivel with both of those, plus all the stuff that he did for RCA in the 50s and 60s. It's classic material. You are, I guess in my description of you, you're, you're kind of like a, a musical missionary, uh, and because uh, I say that uh, because you've been all over the world. I mean, you've been in Hawaii, you've spent time in Cape Verde, in Colombia, the Canary Islands. How did you do all these travels or, or what was the, the, the purpose behind everything like this? Well, you know, the I think the fact that uh, I've always been fascinated by being able to be fluent in a variety of styles of music and knowing different people is, is really what got me there. A lot of my, my friends, great jazz players, and I always ended up with these tours to Angola and Mongolia and Cuba and, and all those other places. And, you know, I, I, uh, I don't regret a, a day of that. You know, they, I, I think there's such a, a wealth of cultural richness and, and, getting to know the, these different styles of music and, and uh, experiencing what uh, life is really like in a lot of those other places. I think it, it's helped really to allowed me to, to grow into the, the musician that I am. And currently I'm also getting more and more involved in, in Mexican music as well. You also did a little time uh, on cruise ships uh, and did a lot of big band music Tell us about that story. Well, that um, that was in the basically the the very early '90s. Most of that that was at the time I was saving up to go to Berkeley. Back when you could basically do that on that kind of budget, work for a couple of years and go to Berkeley and graduate and not incur a lifetime worth of debt. And um, <laughs> I got the I got the chance to work with some really great musicians, not only on the bandstand, but, uh, you know, accompanying some fantastic singers like Vic Damone and Al Martino and Diane Carroll and tons and tons of other really big names. And, in, in, uh, you know, that, that was part of the program that, that Royal Caribbean had for their, their larger ships. And uh, that was basically a full big band. Back in those days, they had an 11-piece main orchestra and we would bring in an extra trombone, an extra trumpet and an extra saxophone from a lounge band, uh, from two different lounge bands. And the drummer would go to percussion. They would bring another drummer and our piano player would go to a, a keyboard that would play like strings and extra, you know, other percussion instruments, key, you know, mallets and the, and the like, and they'd bring a piano player. So it would be like a, a full orchestra. Basically, the, the idea was to recreate the shows that they used to have in Vegas back in the day. Every week you were working with a different music director and, you know, they'd have these big, long rehearsals leading up to the, the show. But it was like a workshop with these guys. And it really uh, I, I learned so much about playing in a section and interpreting written music in that style. You know, that's really been an invaluable experience. You've done a, a lot of different things with different musical groups. You've had so many other musical experiences, and you were also Grammy-nominated with a Clave uh, Secreta. Yeah, that's uh, that. That was a, a a marvelous experience. That absolutely phenomenal group. That album was recorded on 
on the band leader, Gonzalo Grau's laptop in his apartment. <laughs> wow. Track by track. And then nominated for Best Latin Caribbean Album. And we lost to Jose Feliciano that year, so he really has had deserved it for so long, and I, I, I don't have the, the slightest qualm about losing to him. No, no, and, and no one should be because he, he's fantastic. As life went on for you, you eventually not only had all these uh, experiences ranging from exotica tropical music to hints of Latin music, big band, and so forth. And then finally, I don't know what took you so long, but in 2011, you had your first premiere album as a leader, Resilience. That's right. And by the way, uh, that album is absolutely incredible. And uh, I, I'm surprised that was not Grammy nominated. It, it's that good. Oh, man, thank you. <laughs> and I, I, I think a lot of it had to do with not only your talent uh, and maybe uh, some of the compositions and so forth, but the, the amazing lineup of collaboration that you had on that album with people like George Cables, Durzon Douglas, you had Willie Jones, Greg Gisbert, who we mentioned earlier, uh, Mark Whitfield. Uh, what, what an all-star ensemble. Oh, yeah, yeah. Claudio Roditi was on a couple oh, of tracks right. as well. So how did that come about with, with that grouping? Well, there's an exotica connection there. <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> and and uh, this goes back to about 2008, I believe it was. Uh, Waitiki had recorded with um, Michael Dees, and so we were t we were doing a tour to promote uh, the new album. I think this was Ad Adventures in Paradise. We recorded two albums over the same group of sessions, Adventures in Paradise and uh, uh, New Sounds of Exotica. Both of these albums are just top level talent. It's kind of a fresh take on Exotica. You know, Exotica tends to be a little bit shy about solos and improvisation and, and um, you know, nobody really since then had updated the, the language of the, particularly the Afro-Cuban language, but you know, even, even the Hawaiian and Polynesian and, you know, there's so many influences it, that contained in Exotica. You know, we thought the, the approach there was basically to, to refresh the, the, pers the musical perspective, the awareness of those, all those languages, those styles. And so Mike, Michael Dees was on that on those sessions and in the tour, he, he and I were in the car together going from Philly to New York. And he asked me, have, have you ever thought about doing a jazz CD under your name? And I said, oh, sure. He says, if, if, you know, if, if, do you have one? And I said, no. And he said, well, do you want to do one? And I said, oh, well, I'd, I'd never say no to that. But uh, 
I don't know where to begin. I don't have the really have much time to, you know, it takes a lot of work. And he said, well, you know, let me help you with that. And so basically he got the ball rolling. We had a number of phone conversations over the next six months about personnel. You know, he he's in touch with a lot of these players and uh, set up the recording date. And, you know, we had other series of long conversations about the the repertoire and and we really you know put together a fantastic recording there i'm really proud of that that recording and i love all the the tunes that are on there as well and then he uh he said well you know what i have an idea he he had had a one or two releases out of uh jlp jazz legacy productions and he said well let's take this project to john lee and have him mix it and maybe he'll pick it up. You know, I can't guarantee anything, but sure enough, we 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 took it there, and and he absolutely loved it, and said, uh, "I want to put this out on JLP." It took a little while to come out, but um, it was well worth the wait. And, and I'm especially glad that you had the association uh, with Michael Dees because I think, to me, one of the the finest things you could have on a recording is a trombone. Uh, I, I think it adds so much meat to the matter uh, and to the music. I, I love trombone. And uh, to hear Michael play on all these tracks uh, with uh, all of you is just really uh, great music. It is. It is. Yeah, I, basically, Mike, Michael and I have uh, stayed in touch, stayed good friends ever since the, the Waitiki days basically and uh you know when he was he was doing a master's at uh, new england conservatory which is where randy wong had studied he's the founder of waitiki it was basically through randy that i met michael and we've we've stayed in touch ever you know stayed close friends ever since mm -hmm. so while you were on this uh, wild uh, car trip uh, did uh, michael play the trombone in the car no <laughs> that'd be a trick I don't think you could get much past second position in a car, if even that. <laughs> or, unless you're in a convertible. <laughs> or he's playing one of the little soprano oh, yeah. trombones, slide trumpet. <laughs> well, it's, it's wonderful music. And speaking of wonderful music, your latest project is called Keeper of the Flame, and it came out, I believe, on June 4th of this year. That's uh, right. Tell us about, uh, first of all, the name Keeper of the Flame, and does it have something to do with a responsibility you feel you have as a musician? Well, it, it does. The title was actually suggested by by Mike. He he wanted something that that refers to the flame as you know kind of a passing of the torch kind of idea and so we we eventually settled on keeper of the flame certainly the the keeper a keeper of the flame is somebody who preserves passes down respect for the for the tradition in the past but also keeps it alive and the way you keep a, a flame alive you have to feed it just you know you have to it has to adapt with with the times to some degree and um, that that involves bringing in younger players and updating the language as i mentioned before which was the case with waitiki you know the the music evolves and it has to change and reflect the times that it's in mm -hmm. 
uh, I think w the things that are important to preserve from the past are the, uh, the, the, a lot of the values and, and the respect for those who came before and had that pioneering spirit. You know, it, it can't be something that, that is, is just not to be messed with and, and is there to be on a shelf and admired. It has to be, there has to be real contact with it. And, and it has, that's how it, that's how you keep this, this music alive. Right. Well, you certainly pay homage to not only some of the masters of music, but also some of the standards. Definitely. Yeah. That, I mean, the, the group that, that recorded on that album is just phenomenal. And that, that rhythm section works so well together. You know, it's magical. Well, and, and it should be uh, because it's got uh, Ulysses Owens Jr. You've got uh, Rodney Whitaker. These guys are hot right now. Uh, Ulysses has his uh, new release out too, Soul Conversations, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a lot of different things. But you also have on there, I'm curious about this, Emmett Cohen, the pianist. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it seems like I don't think there is a contemporary jazz recording that he's not on. The guy is everywhere. How did you end up uh, with <laughs> Emmett Cohen in this? Well, I, I've known Emmett for quite a while. I met him probably in 2012 or 13. No, actually, even before then, I think. Yeah, I, I had known him for a little while before that that recording session. The initial recording session was back in 2013. And um, so, yeah, I probably knew him since 2010, maybe. We, we split the session. We did two, re two records over a weekend. Uh, one day we did most of the tracks for Keeper of the Flame, and then the, the next, uh, another day we did most of the tracks for Adam Rongo's CD. He's the alto player on, on there. And uh, Emmett was on the Saturday session, and Miki Hayama was on the, on the Friday session. And so she's on most of the tracks, but uh, my tune, Get Organized, is, uh, was on the, fell on that Saturday session, and so Emmett's the pianist there. Tell me about what Get Organized is. What was the, the mindset uh, of that uh, composition? Uh, I wrote that during the, uh, the Occupy Wall Street protests. And basically, it's, it's, it's kind of an imperative to everybody who values democracy and, and uh, equality. And basically, what I think was, uh, was starting to happen during those protests was people were starting to find their voice, find the necessity of getting out and fighting for what's important and for preserving society, preserving the health of our, of our society and our democracy. There's a lot of chaos in the, in, in, in particularly in the A section of the, the piece, the introduction and the A section are very chaotic. And out of the, in the, the, the B section, you, you start to get kind of glimmers of more tonality and more stability. So it, it's like that cycle between relative st stability. You got to keep fighting.
got to keep keeping keep going out there you can't rest on your laurels and and uh think that everything is is gonna stay okay you gotta get organized indeed and then besides uh, some of your compositions on there you you played the music of some of the masters as keeper of the flame uh, you wanted to highlight and pay homage to some of these people one of which was jimmy heath definitely yeah and what uh, was that one about well initially the uh, when michael and i were discussing kind of the the initial concept of the recording he 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 proposed and i was totally on board with this uh he said let's do something that's um that's a, a larger ensemble let's let's feature you in a uh, like a larger ensemble Actually, I had met the Heath brothers when Mike was playing with them at Dizzy's. And you know, I, I immediately, uh, you know, I, of course, known about them for years and meeting them was, was a terrific experience. And I've stayed in touch with, uh, with them now, Tootie, I call him on a fairly regular basis. And he's, I brought him down here to the, the jazz festival uh, a couple of years ago. And so he, he loves to to travel and get out and play. And actually Emmett is his pianist now. So <laughs> the things going around their connections being what they are. But so um, the Heath brothers really to enumerate the, the contributions of, of the, that family of, of brothers in the, in the music, they're really a, a, a pillar of, of all of this music. A couple of other tunes that were, were standouts uh, for me were the one where you paid tribute to John Coltrane. Yeah, that's um, Naima. Uh, that's a, a fantastic arrangement by, by Diego Rivera. bit different take i think it it sounds to me a bit a, a bit of a tip of the hat to a cedar walton arrangement of that that he played on i think it's eastern rebellion but he's reharmonized it and voiced it and a beautiful soli and you know it's it's so much fun to play over 
And besides Coltrane, you also pay tribute to McCoy Tyner. Another composer that I, I was fascinated by was the fact that you don't see his name on a lot of recordings, and that's Oscar Levant. Yes. How did you choose that? Well, um, that, that's Blame It On My Youth. Basically, um, in the session, Mike said, Tim, I want you to play a couple of tunes, just trio. You know, pick a ballad and you'll do that with, uh, with Rodney. And Blame It On My Youth has always been a favorite of mine to play as a, a, a harmonyless ensemble. Because the bass line and the melody basically give you everything. I think it's such a brilliantly written piece in that regard. It, it's so uh, expressive just with those two lines. And so that actually playing that to me was, was just a real dream come true to play with such a great bass player as Rodney. Mm -hmm. That and really a, was a, a, a hidden gem, an unexpected treasure of, of that session. And, and he's an incredible composer and you don't hear a lot of his music uh, that's covered necessarily by musicians. Maybe I'm assessing this incorrectly, but he's kind of like the elephant in the room. Well, you know, that's, the, that's exactly the type of composer and compositions that I'm interested in, in whose flames, in whose flames I'm interested in keeping. It's really important to, to celebrate that, that music that so often is easy, easily forgotten for whatever reason. Well, you've celebrated it well, and there's a, a great mix of music through the entire release, including a couple of your compositions, uh, the other of which is Blues by Four. Tell me that story. I used to have two pugs, and anybody who's owned pugs, well, the dogs in general, you know, we, we form a really special bond with, with our pets. And so I, I tried to write something that I thought would reflect the, the, the humor, uh, the big heartedness, and basically the depth of that bond. In, in that tune and celebrate that.
that's my my attempt at that. And Diego, of course, read yet another totally brilliant arrangement for that. Really it, brought out the essence, I thought. And I, I think he does. Uh, and uh, it, it's uh, just a fun recording to listen to, top to bottom. And uh, I think it's work well done. Uh, and congratulations on the release, Keeper of the Flame. Uh, what's I, I believe that one is on the Declef Records. Yes, that's that's Michael's label. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Well, earlier in the conversation, you had uh, mentioned that you had developed this uh, interest in uh, the music of Mexico, and you obviously are doing that. So have you pitched your tent and you're going to stay in uh, Mexico for a while? What's, what's on your horizon? Well, I think being in Mexico allows me to, um, to travel very easily either to the States or to other parts of Latin America or to Europe. It's really not that, that difficult to move around. And I think basically for now, I'm, I'm here and I'm happy and doing well. And so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll probably stay based here for, for the time being. But any plans right now to maybe take Keeper of the Flame on the road. I know it's kind of a large ensemble to move around because it's an octet. Has there been any interest in enticing you to go and play at X Festival somewhere else in the world? Not yet. I'm certainly not opposed to that. I think if that were to happen, I could uh, field a, a, a really good band on a moment's notice. But, you know, it, with, the, with the pandemic, things are really slow coming back. I, I have to say... I'm really concerned about how the, the, the music industry worldwide is going to bounce back from this. It's a, mus, musicians are in a, uh, and venues, everybody, we're all really in a, everybody, we're all really in a tough spot right now. Uh, indeed, but uh, hopefully uh, things will change uh, and our new normal will finally uh, manifest itself and we'll know where the hell we're going. In, in closing, People can certainly enjoy the music of Keeper of the Flame. Check it out uh, for our listeners. And how can our listeners learn more about your music and your story? Keeper of the Flame is currently available mainly over Bandcamp. I'm having my rep, my website renovated, and uh, so that'll that'll be up hopefully within a, another week or two. It'll also be available there. I, I haven't invested a lot in physical copies, although it is being distributed in Japan. Basically, I'm, I'm keeping it off of the streaming platforms just because I didn't make this music to give it away. It's, uh, it's not that I'm greedy, but you know, I think artists deserve a fair price. And I disagree with completely with the idea that I need to stream this thing uh, 100,000 times to make $5. So it's not on Spotify, not on Apple Music, not on Amazon. For now, it's Bandcamp and eventually will be available on my website, timmayermusic.com. And we'll go from there. You know, I'm, I, the, the music industry is evolving um, strangely and quickly. And so I'll, I'll try to keep adapting with that. But uh, for now, that's, I prefer to have as direct contact with people that are interested in my music as I can. Do you dip your toes into other social media platforms like Twitter or Instagram? I have Instagram. It's Mayor Tim Jazz on Instagram. Facebook is Tim Mayer. 
I'm on YouTube too as as Tim Mayer. I, I put a lot of stuff up there that I'm not interested in monetizing, but I feel is worth preserving and sharing. It's, there's a lot of live footage from different performances, including uh, some of the Esquivel Cien material and some recent, and anything that's current. Well, we will definitely check it out. And I will say, Tim, this has been time well spent, and I appreciate the opportunity to learn more about you and have this conversation on All That's Jazz. Well, I really appreciate you reaching out and having me, Alan. It's been a, a real pleasure, and, and uh, I hope we get to do this again. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with Tim Mayer. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.